if you think testing, getting tested, seeing your doctor on a regular basis constitute prevention of illness, you're in for a surprise. In this conversation with Dr. Shilpa Saxena, you will receive that clarity that you need in order to understand what true prevention and early detection mean. If you've been struggling with diabetes and need some clarity even there in terms of what questions should you be asking, how would you approach this disease, this would be a great conversation to listen to. So without any further delay, I would want to invite you to listen to this conversation that I had with Dr. Shilpa Saxena during our diabetes summit. And one other thing before you get into it, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, share this link with someone else whom you believe will be helped. And of course, get in touch with us with any of your questions. I'm Dr. Chellum, the host of this podcast, Women Wired for Wellness, because we sure are. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to our online series, Resolving Type 2 Diabetes Naturally. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. Shilpa Saxena. Dr. Shilpa Saxena is a both certified family physician, but she has a passion and purpose that uh, uh, come to life through an uncompromising dedication to health and care aspects of healthcare. And the way I uh, came across Dr. Saxena is when I attended the IFM uh, conference on cardiometabolic, um, uh, I, I think it's their, it's their course. And it was just phenomenal how she was able to explain and simplify something that would have been very complex for most physicians to explain. And that's why I'm so honored to have her on this show because you will be able to understand why type 2 diabetes is so rampant. It's almost like to the point, if you go to the CDC, it's 67 to 70% of the folks walking around do not realize they are type 2 diabetic because we're missing it very, very early in the game. And today my conversation is going to be revolved around that. So welcome, Dr. Saxena. Thank you so much for coming on our summit. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be able to share. Thank you for being the voice. Thank you. So let's start by, uh, uh, you know, it always helps me understand why you do what you do. So uh, did you start off uh, wanting to be a functional medical doctor? Did you start off doing lifestyle and health, um, you know, focus on health rather than disease management? Tell us your background. Absolutely. So I went into the field of medicine not knowing there was such a thing called functional and integrative medicine. Although I grew up in an Indian household, my grandmother and mother would have concoctions with turmeric or ginger. So it was always part of my upbringing. I just didn't look at it as science per se, more of a cultural thing. And when I went through my training, I was one of those people who wanted to do everything. I wanted to deliver babies. I wanted to do surgery. I wanted to take care of chronic complex disease. And therefore, I went into family medicine. I love the idea of being in like a small underserved area. So having gone into that field, I very quickly recognized in residency that the big differentiator between people who get better versus people who do not is knowledge. 
And then I realized, oh, it's not just knowledge because many people know, oh, I'm not supposed to eat this or I'm supposed to eat this. It's something that translates from the knowing to the doing. So I moved my practice into a kind of an uber prevention type of uh, practice until one of my patients decided to teach me a little bit about some of the supplements. She was telling me, oh, there's research here. And because I'm just a very curious person, and I noticed that she was looking at her history, improving from some of these things called probiotics and fish oil, I looked into it and realized there's this whole other world. Long story short, within two years, I had educated myself, gotten a fellowship in integrative medicine uh, within three to four years faculty at IFM because it was just so much common sense in that field of practice. And it basically married everything that my intention was with why I became a doctor, with what I can actually do to heal people. Awesome. So when you started your practice, how difficult was it for you to help people see that there was a different option? What do you think are the missing pieces when, you know, people are coming to their doctors, right? They, they all come to you or they'll come to me. And in their minds, if I go to the doctor, the doctor's going to be able to diagnose me and then put me on a medicine and I'm going to be better. What is wrong with that thought process? What should they think differently? That's a very good question, and we actually bring that up in our module. So I have this sticky way of remembering it. You know, the way that we've all been acculturated to look at healthcare is, and when I say we all, I mean providers, uh, patients, just the public at large. We look at this model of name it, blame it, treat it, street it. So we have this false idea that once we can put a name on a condition like type 2 diabetes, then we can blame it for everything it's doing to us as though it's like a bug that bit us and now we have it. And then we treat it with what its effects are. And then we street it like, okay, we'll see in three months. Let's see how that, you know, Band-Aid worked. And the problem with name it, blame it, treat it, street it is that it never really looks at how disease actually occurs. It's not, we're not bitten by the diabetes bug or the autoimmunity bug. We actually, 80% of what we do every single day is what turns on diseases that we're genetically prone to. And so to answer your question, there is this huge uh, mindset shift that has to occur with patients when they realize, oh, this isn't happening to me. I am not genetically doomed or you know, bitten by this disease, I actually have the power to change my diet, the way I eat, the way I move, the way I sleep, and I can actually turn off disease. I'm not genetically doomed. And I think until and unless that happens, people are fine with the name it, blame it, treat it, street it game. Yeah. Yeah. So how does a patient figure out, like when they go to a doctor, this is what they know, right? They're given an insurance card. They're told, these are your doctors. If you're in a network, then you know your network of doctors. And we find that, yes, diabetes gets blamed for a lot of things. If your eyesight goes down, your kidneys begin to fail, you have neuropathy. I mean, you will see patients saying, you know, I have my nerves, I get severe neuropathy from diabetes. And it's very um, difficult to educate people to 
differentiate between, hey, there is a type, type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune, and a type 2 that is something you develop. Like you said, 80% of what you do on a consistent basis is what turns on the genes if you have a genetic predisposition to it to create this problem. So how does that, that person realize, okay, I need to find a different kind of a doctor? What are the questions they should be asking off of themselves and off the doctor they go to meet? It's a very good question as well. So first, there has to be a validation of their intuition. Uh, most patients, when they come to see a physician like you or me, have already been thinking that something isn't right about this model. Yeah. There's something missing. They're, they're getting tired of that revolving door. What's the new Band-Aid? What's the new prescription? And although the prescription might help temporarily, most people, I give them the benefit of the doubt that they know there's something else that's missing. So the first thing is, is that the patient himself or herself must come to terms with the fact that they are actually in the power seat. It is not the power in the prescription or the power in the provider, actually. It's they are in the driver's seat of whether or not health or disease gets activated. Now, that's an awesome responsibility, and some people shy away from it. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes easier to blame the disease or blame the provider or blame the prescription. So first, patient, please accept the immense power that you have to change your health. Then number two, once you find that power and you know that power exists, the goal is to find providers that are interested in the conversation of what should I eat? How should I move? Can you do more advanced tests? And it's actually, as you learned in our course, much more than just, oh, eat vegetables, exercise. There's specific vegetables that may be good for you, but not good for another person. There's um, all this research about the microbiome and how inflammation at the level of your gut lining can turn on this gene. So you want to be with, how I explain it, providers that are still chefs. They're not the providers who just follow the recipe mindlessly, i.e. you go to see them, they name you, blame you, treat you, and then street you. If you keep going to those kind of recipe followers, you're going to keep getting the same outcome, yeah. right? So look for chefs, like clinical chefs who are willing to really explore and have training, honestly. This is not just a guessing game. Yeah. There are people who are working actively to understand this. Yeah, I, I really love the way you uh, put it as chef that follows a recipe. That can be done by just about anybody. And very soon that's going to be computerized because yes. it is a recipe and it can be put into algorithms. And when you get this result, you get this medicine. So if you're really trying to, what I find different is one is management of disease. The other is figuring out why you have the disease and rebuilding your health. And the way I explain it to people is you can, the only way to get rid of darkness is to bring light into that space. And the way to get rid of disease is to bring in health into that space so that disease ceases to exist. And to me, diabetes is a symptom. But having spoken about all of this, how does one, um, you know, how do you differentiate? How do you explain simply to somebody there are two types of diabetes and one requires insulin and the other does not require, in fact, should not, has already an abundance of insulin, 
but yet we treat them with insulin. In fact, I think 60% of the insulin produced in this country is given to type 2 diabetics. Can you explain the difference between the two? And what are the questions that people need to ask if they are called a type 2 diabetic? And why is that they get to the point that they are needing insulin to treat their blood sugars? Okay. I know it's a broad question, but... No, 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 not a problem. So the two different forms of diabetes cannot be more different. So type 1 diabetes is, I should say, was quite rare. It's what we have this image of a little child. Usually we used to call it juvenile diabetes because it happens in quite young children. And the way that it occurs is that their own immune system attacks their pancreas and the pancreas is in charge of making insulin. So when it attacks it and kills it, if you will, there's no more pancreas to make insulin. And so these type 1 diabetics necessarily need to replace the insulin that their own body cannot make. So that is type 1 diabetic, and it's still quite uncommon compared to how many people have type 2 diabetes. So type 2 diabetes is easily 80 to 90% of all diabetics, just to put it into perspective. So most likely, you know how they say when you hear uh, hooves beating, think horses, not zebras. So more likely you're a horse type 2 diabetes. So type 2 diabetes is different. What creates the need for insulin for a type 2 diabetic is that they have a perfectly good pancreas and their immune system is overall healthy and wise. However, because of daily choices or even environmental toxic exposures that build up over time or chronic stress perception, you take a relatively or perfectly good pancreas and you overwork it like an employee that you have work 15 hour days, seven days a week, that employee will burn out. But it is not being attacked. The pancreas is not being attacked per se. It's your own lifestyle uh, choices that overwork it to the point where just like an employee, if it's working 15 hour days, seven days a week, at first it's going to try to keep up with your demand. Like, yes, I'll put out more insulin. In fact, that's what first happens is the pancreas trying to keep up with your donuts and your sugary drinks and your stress and all, you know, your unhealthy, um, maybe antibiotics that you've had to take. It's trying to keep up by pumping out insulin. And just like an employee, after a while, the employee says, ugh, I cannot push it out. I'm so tired. And at some point, the employee, the pancreas says, I'm done. I'm not making any more insulin for you. You burnt out a perfectly good pancreas. And that's when a type 2 diabetic needs insulin. That's the difference. Got it. So how does a type 2 diabetic catch this early? What are some of the subtle symptoms. And you've heard of this too. People probably think they're eating healthy, which would be, um, I, I've had people tell me I eat oatmeal in the morning. I have, a, a, you know, sometimes eggs and then I eat a salad and I eat, um, you know, um, a portion of meat with vegetables for the night, but they're still diabetics. Um, but they've had some subtle changes in their body that happen. There are subtle changes in their blood work that happens. And a lot of times I find that the regular blood work of just checking your fasting blood sugar 
does not necessarily catch you early enough. In fact, it can if somebody looks at the trend of the blood sugars. But I find a lot of people come to us because there's, you know, they have fatigue. That might be the only symptom. But how does somebody who is a patient say, you know, I'm worried about type 2 diabetes, but I'm not heavy. I don't think I will be a type 2 diabetic because that's another myth that, that goes on. If you're not heavy, you're not going to be a diabetic. Or if you're heavy, you will be a diabetic, type 2 diabetic. So those things, what, what can they look for? What are the changes you educate people that you should start looking and asking for these specific testing? So as someone who is very much into prevention, now let me just clarify, prevention versus early detection. Yes. If you're waiting for a symptom of diabetes or metabolic syndrome or prediabetes, you're already behind. Mm -hmm. So instead of the conversation that is about symptoms, like let's just say fatigue, for example, fatigue is a sign that your body is no longer able to burn blood sugar. The insulin is not there to bring the sugar into the cell and be burned as energy to produce energy. And that's why the blood sugar is going up. So yeah. what instead I would love to have people and patients be thinking about is, if imagine yourself to be a tree, you do not wait for the tree leaves to turn yellow to say, mm, what should I do about the soil? What you do is what can I be putting in the soil to make sure this tree will not turn yellow? Or what do I have to get out of the soil so that this, these branches work well? So I will tell you some of the most common things that people step over as it relates to actually uh, nourishing your body to keep it from developing type 2 diabetes, or if you have it, how you get it to actually reverse and reduce. Number one is surely you have to look at your diet. I don't want to step over that. You want to eat a, you know, a low glycemic impact diet, which means it won't cause blood sugar elevations and make your pancreatic employee work too hard. That's number one. Uh, number two, exercise. The more that you can physically burn excess blood sugar, the less it's going to work your employee. Instead of the employee managing the blood sugar, why don't you let the muscles in your body burn the sugar so the pancreas doesn't have to handle it, right? We want to relieve the pancreas employee. Yeah. The next one is your mind. Chronic stress will cause something called cortisol to elevate and cortisol overworks the pancreas. So again, look at the way you look at the world. It's not that you may not, let's say your finances are low. It's how you uh, view that and how you're empowered or disempowered by it that's going to increase or decrease risks related to, to diabetes. So chronic stress would be something. And then the other one that people um, don't look at is look at your gut health. If you're suffering from constipation, diarrhea, acid reflux, belching, indigestion, all those types of things are a sign that your digestive system is off. And that is where most of your inflammation signal comes from. So if your gut is not happy, you are likely increasing your risks for diabetes. And last but not least is heavy metals. Uh, many of us might have slow and steady exposure to heavy metals, maybe from silver fillings in our mouth, from our, uh, the mercury that was put in our mouth that slowly erodes away. Sometimes it's the fish we've been eating in our diet. Sometimes it's just the toxins we get exposed to with cleaning chemicals and personal hygiene products. 
these things rack up and actually can poison the pancreatic employee, if you will, and that makes it harder for it to maintain healthy insulin and healthy blood sugar levels. So again, don't wait for the symptoms of type 2 diabetes. Do all the things that address the causes, like look for symptoms of chronic stress, of digestive dysfunction, look in your environment for metals, uh, really start eating a lot more vegetables and low glycemic ones, exercise, especially around meals. This is always a great way to prevent the yellowing of the, the, the branch called the pancreas. Perfect. Um, so uh, what about the weight issue? You know, everybody has that notion, like if I'm thin, I'm exempt. And if I'm heavy, then I'm most likely would be at risk. And so you have the heavier patients wanting to get their blood sugars checked regularly, and it turns out to be normal. Um, and, you know, a huge part of my um, little rant on that is if you're checking the sugars, but not checking the insulin, not checking the insulin receptor function, you're missing probably very early signs of detection. Um, because the fact of the matter is we live in a very abundant uh, world, and we have we're the only species that's confused about what we should be eating. So uh, with, with all of that information about the various types of diets, right? Like the keto, the vegan, the uh, AIP diets, everybody's confused as to what really works. So how would you guide somebody who comes in with all of this information, but not the wisdom uh, that is required to help them, you know, um, move forward in, rebuilding their health because I think we all make mistakes. That's how we learn. As much as we, every one of us talks yeah. about prevention, right? None of us really do it. We, we know we need it, but we really don't want to put in that work unless something is bothering us. So how would you educate a patient on how to curate that information? What has weight got to do with anything? And why is their diabetes being missed very early? So weight, you are absolutely right, used to be kind of the risk factor for developing type 2 diabetes. Uh, it used to be the risk factor during a time where we had far less environmental toxic burdens. But as we've modernized as a society, not only what's in our environment, I'm not, I'm not only speaking about pollution, I'm talking about fake food that we eat. That's just as quote unquote toxic with the chemicals that's in it. So these chemicals that are coming into our body can, based on the person's genetics, create weight gain or some people become malnourished almost, like they have the toxins in them and they cannot nourish their body appropriately. So weight more and more is not the factor. In fact, it's the toxicity levels in the body. There's uh, great studies that have shown that, as you just said, there are people who are obese and don't get diabetes and people who are thin, especially Asians, Hispanics, uh, you know, South Americans, yep. eat at a much smaller body weight and much less visceral fat, meaning the, the fat around the belly, will turn on diabetes. The theory is there's a connection between the toxins that we've been exposed to in our life and something about the weight, but it's not the, the trigger that we used to know. So one thing that I will tell you, which was related to your question about like, what diet do I start on with all these guidelines? The, the question for me is not what diet to start on first. The question is, is have you detoxified and made your liver happy with someone who understands how to do it? 
And have you made your gut happy? Because if you've not made your gut happy and your liver happy, then most diets that you choose, it's like trying to build a house that has rotten, like you have an existing house that has rotten wood and you're like, well, let's just cover it up with these nice, you know, vegetables and all this. But until you go down and you really modify the rotten wood parts of, if you will, your house, then adding all that other stuff is not going to have the greatest impact. And I cannot agree with you more that this one size fits all diet is never going to be the answer. We have such beautiful diversity amongst humans. And that means that the diet that works for one individual may not be the diet that works for the next. And so I have this thing that says, uh, I don't treat paper, I treat people. So, right. So don't look at a piece of paper and say, oh, this is the diet, this is the crazed diet, right? Like it was keto, now it's vegan, who knows what it's going to be next year. No matter what it is, you can test it out on your body and see, do I have more energy? Is my brain working well? How is my body composition? Is my digestive function well? If those, is my skin well? That's a wonderful clue as to whether your body's happy. So if those things are starting to improve on any particular diet, combined with exercise and sleep and all this, that's maybe the diet for you. And sometimes people have to take a little bit of this one and a little bit of this one, and that creates the one that works for you. Right. I'm so glad you said that because that's really the key thing is um, we we are in a world of information and we're sicker than ever. So the information is not the solution for our sickness. It's really understanding our own body. So when people come to you, um, why do you think um, when they come to find doctors like you and me, why do you think that they have gone that long? What is the traditional medical system not checking? You don't have to go into the details of the blood test, but in general, we're, we're missing certain things because that's why the diabetes, like I get patients that tell me, I've never changed, I've not changed my diet, I've not exercised, been the same weight, but now my doctor says I'm a pre-diabetic. What does that mean and what should they be doing uh, different? Obviously, some of it you already explained. Make sure your liver is detoxed, your gut is healthy, and then you can change your diet. But what are they missing? Why do they get to a point of becoming pre-diabetic if they've been seeing that after every year and getting blood tests every year? Yes, very good question. So the way that I would describe it is think of an iceberg. Okay, so there is a huge massive formation under the surface that has been developing. And then slowly it peaks above the surface of the water. And this is where it's now visible, if you will. So most of the testing that we have in day-to-day primary care is looking for tips of icebergs it is not looking under the surface. And before we used to look for diabetes, which used to maybe be this high above the uh, surface water. And now we look for the tip to be this high with prediabetes. And what I'm saying is, is that we as functional and integrative medicine physicians are looking under the water to say, my goodness, you've got this iceberg formation happening. We need to really break that down. Otherwise, give it a year, five years, 10 years, you are going to be surfacing up here. So that's the difference is that the standard of care looks for things only when they come above the surface because then it can be named. You see, until it breaks the surface, it's not a disease to be named. Under the surface, it's a cause. Above the surface, it's an effect. And the way the industry occurred is 
it's an effect-based treatment model. We're reactive to an effect. We are not proactive to the cause, which is where ancient systems of medicine and healing always focused as well. They, they focus below the surface, actually more than above the surface, knowing if you get above the surface, you're kind of behind the power curve. Why don't we got to focus below the water, keep making that strong so we don't have to deal with the effect above the water. Got it. So what would your advice be for someone who says, you know, I come from a line of diabetics, they're in their early 20s or 30s. What can they do proactively to make sure they don't go above the surface? Okay, so great. Advice? Oh, one advice? Goodness. Oh, actually, that's my answer. I have this thing called goodness. Uh, it's a sticky no <laughs> it's a sticky mnemonic that I have. Okay, so most people know, um, think of the word goodness. There's the ness on the end, nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress management. Most people know the ness portion, but this okay. is the part, the, the good of goodness. You have to be good with yourself. You see, if you're not good with yourself, it's very hard to maintain nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress management. And in order to be good with yourself, I will tell you, get your mess in order. M for mental health, E for emotional health, S for social health, and the other S for spiritual health. These are tried and true. If you think of this goodness mnemonic, work on cleaning up your mess so you're good with yourself and you will be so much more powerful with being sustainable with your ness. You know, people don't stop exercising because they don't see the value of it. It's because something social, spiritual, mental, emotional will stop them up. So keep yourself good with yourself and then work on your nest too. That one answer alone is valuable. If you have watched this video, that is probably the most valuable answer because the bottom line is we are sick. And in fact, I don't think I've truly ever seen a physical illness. It always comes with a socioeconomic um, aspect to it, a lot of times an emotional aspect to it. Um, and a lot of what I've noticed is usually resentment uh, in life or towards something. So um, I really love that answer. Thank you so much for doing that. So where can people actually find more information about you? And I know uh, you have an online course that um, folks can um, you know, get more education on how to stay healthy. Could you tell us a little more about that? Yes, yes. It is a mission of mine that more and more people have access to this information because as you and I know, it's just a matter of people understanding this information and then acting upon it. So at forumhealth.com, I am one of the chief medical officers where we have a whole network of physicians who can not only manage you on site, but especially these days, virtually and we have a whole team of health coaches again to shift the knowing into the doing and personalize the goodness solution for you and work through it throughout life so forumhealth.com would be a great place to start awesome i will make sure that they have that information there and from there they can be um i guess guided to doing different things. Is there anything else before we um, close this interview? Is there something that I haven't asked you that you wish I had asked you? Oh, goodness. That is a, a great question. It's like going to a candy store and what can I have? You know, 
what I would say right now in the face of everything that's going on and not only what's going on now, but you know, you have that in addition to what you were managing before. So let's say you are a type two diabetic and we're dealing with what's going on with the coronavirus epidemic. I think it's very important for people to recognize to have balance in their life. There is a, a terrible amount of suffering going on and there is a huge amount of healing that is going on. And if you can keep balance on all parts of your mind, your emotions, your physical body, you are hugely ahead. So when you find yourself shifting to being one-sided about your feeling or your thinking or your behavior, that's a sign that you need to level set because the body was never meant to live like sideways. It was meant to live like this in balance. Keep that in your mind and that will be a huge asset to you. Thank you to my grandmother for teaching me that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I'm sure everybody who watches this is going to get a lot of valuable information. Um, so I, I, as you can now, as you watch this video, make sure you share this video with um, anybody you think will benefit from this information. And looking forward to continuing to provide you with this information in the future videos.